classes in session. Hey guys, welcome to Unlearn 16, classes in session. And today, the day after Valentine's Day, you just get me, just me and you. Going to chat a little bit about, going to adjust that a little bit about the nature of relationships. Guys, guys, I, I get a lot. I get a lot of questions, comments, um, asking for advice when it comes to relationships predominantly on TikTok, but sometimes on here. And I thought, what better day, what better, you know, time than to give you guys two my two cents. We all know I'm going to give 10 cents, but my 25 cents at the most about relationships, what it takes to make a good one, what it takes to keep one, what horrific mistakes I've made and how I've learned from all of them. Because guys, I'm 46. So 46... I've made a few mistakes, a few hundred mistakes. And I think I've learned. I, I, I think I really have gotten a hold of a lot of big issues. And I think I can kind of give you a, let's say a, a synopsis, uh, a general overview of what it is to sort of navigate yourself in this crazy world of finding whatever your soulmate, your person, you know, very Christina Yang and Meredith Gray. <clears throat> but I think it's really important to sort of talk about it and talk about the mistakes that I've made. Cause I think a lot of people love to give advice and then not talk about the absolute disasters that they found themselves in. So I'm going to start at the start at the beginning. I'm going to go way back. And between us, um, guys, I used to date guys. I, I dated men, boys, and then men up until I was about 24 years old when I finally came out, when I finally had that epiphany. Um, and so I made a whole host of mistakes then. I like to, sometimes I joke because I wasn't necessarily the nicest <clears throat> to the guys I dated. And that's probably because I wasn't invested. I'm going to talk about that and why I wasn't invested and what that meant for me. But I think I got to got. It's like karma. I know karma is the next life and, you know, whatever. It doesn't. But I feel like it just kind of like you dated guys, treated them like crap, treated them like crap. Dated girls, bam, just knocked on my butt. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to tell you all about that because I'm not going to hide anything. So when I first started dating, I was relatively prolific, not dodgy prolific, just prolific. I dated a lot of guys in, in you know, high school, a lot of people you know, would, would, would say that they, they've dated me and I, I would date them and I'd be super interested for about a month and then it would just fade. Um, I still have guys that I dated in high school, uh, quite a few, actually, it would be awesome. Like I still talk to them. It'd be great to have them on here to actually talk about that. Um, but I had guys that would just constantly want a shot, like, or another shot. And I think what it was, especially back then was my, my lack of giving a crap for the most part. I cared about volleyball. I cared about doing pretty well in school and I cared about my TV schedule and going to bed by 10. Like I, I wasn't like boy crazy, even though I dated a lot of guys, I was heavily invested in sort of the competition of it. I know that sounds dodgy, right? In, in getting the guy, you get the guy, you wear his jacket. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm done with this. Right. So I did that all the way through high school, um, even to the point there was <laughs> my mom needed help painting our house. And I was actually away on March break. And three of my ex-boyfriends all came over and helped my mom paint 
uh, I don't even know, did my mom call them? I don't even know how that transpired, but they all came over to help my mom paint inside the house and on the inside of the door. And I wish I would have a photo of it because I don't, they painted the Joanna Johnson club and they each signed their name. (laughs) At least one of those guys I can bring on this podcast. The other two might be a little iffy. Um, but I dated lovely guys. So when a lot of people say, Joanna, you know, people, why are you gay? Did you turn gay? Did you have, but no, I dated very nice, cute, respectful guys. Um, what I didn't get out of that is I never got that feeling in your chest. You know, that people, they say that's feeling in your gut. I don't think it's in your gut. I think it's in your chest. I think it's the, your heart's going to pound out of your chest. I might die feeling all of that is, is fake because it's, it doesn't last forever. But that feeling, I never got that with guys. And then the more I got to know them, the more you're supposed to attain a level of intimacy, right? And I don't mean that in, in a, in a sexual way. So I'm talking about, I mean, intimacy in a connectivity kind of way, like you're supposed to gain more trust. You're supposed to gain your deeper conversations. You're supposed to feel more at home with that person. I think that's a fair assessment. And what I noticed with guys, and I literally thought I was just broken, was that when I stayed with them, <clears throat> that feeling that I was supposed to be getting, that that connection was just evaporating. So I thought I had it at the beginning and then it would evaporate to such an incredible lack of connection and lack of intimacy. I felt hollow. And the more time I would spend with these guys, again, lovely, no fault of their own, I would feel more and more empty. And that empty feeling would just make me shut down. I didn't have any emotion about it. I wasn't sad about it. I wasn't anything. I pretty much maybe act or or was disconnected enough at some point for the guys to say, listen, we're not, you're not into this. Uh, I'm going to break up with you. And I'd be like, okay, see you later. And, and that's a horrible way of dealing with things. And, and I really, every time I started, I, I really thought I was broken. I really thought, you know, we could talk about my mom and dad got a divorce when I was young. We can talk about that. But I really felt like I was broken and I wasn't, I, I just wasn't capable of feeling what everybody else was talking about or what the girls were, you know, those girls in the high school hallways when they were like crying in the bathroom or whatever, and they would all go I, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't get it. So I, I just kind of resigned myself to being like, this is the depth of emotion I feel. This is the depth that I can process. And that's just who I am. And all of this went on for quite some time until I was about 24 in university or 23, I guess. Um, and I was dating a guy at the time, lovely guy. And we'd had our ups and downs and my dad had passed the previous year when I first got together with him and I was an emotional, just a wreck. So the kind of attention and neediness that I never had before I had after my dad passed and this particular boyfriend who I'd known all through high school was just lovely at taking care of me. And I loved him taking care of me. And I just fed that for a while. And then we both went away to university and that feeling subsided, that need um, subsided and I, that was it, right. It was gone. And so when he came back from school, it was clear that that, that wasn't there, but that didn't stop us from staying together thinking, Oh no, this is going to get better. And then I went away to York university in my master's and I ended up, um, meeting a girl, 
nothing happened uh, at all before I broke up with my boyfriend because all that I needed to have happen was meet this person and feel, <laughs> I didn't even know her guys, feel, and I, it's not intimacy, but feel that connection. In that moment of meeting that one person, and trust me, she made me cry a lot, I understood what the crying in the bathroom was about. So I broke up with my boyfriend. I had dated my first girlfriend. She treated me horribly. Cheated on me within the first, uh, I don't know, 30 seconds of us dating. And then it progressed, right? Then I'm 24 and 25 years old and I start dating and I date different people. And guys, the world of the lesbian drama is prolific. And maybe I'll do a whole other separate podcast on that because that's not really what I want to get to today. But every step of the way, I, I, you know, sure, sometimes I maybe hurt people, but for the most part, I had my my heart ripped out every five seconds, um, right up until I got married with that person for a very long time. Again, heart out of chest, ripped, destroyed. And I thought, you know, I'm just done. I'm done with dating. And I never really self-reflected before. Because as a kid, and obviously I was a kid till well into my 30s, and I admit that, as a kid, you end a relationship, you run right back into a new one, and you get all those good feelings, and you ever deal with the crap of this previous relationship, because you just think, well, they weren't right. They weren't the right one for me. They, it was they, 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 nothing to do with me. And then you roll into the next relationship. A lot of the times you you know, you look back or you start to see you duplicating trend after trend after trend, and you never give yourself time to look inward, especially when somebody hurts you because it's so much easier to blame, right? They cheated. It's their fault. They, they lied to me. It's their fault. They, 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 they. After my divorce, ironically, which is so funny because it was they, 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 a hundred percent. Um, I wanted nothing to do with it. <clears throat> After my divorce, COVID hit. And so I go through this horrible experience. And in that time, guys, in that time where I would have just rolled right back into it, I couldn't. It was too big. It was too much. And, and so I couldn't jump right back. And then I was hit by quarantine. Not quarantine, but we were all locked down. So as I was hit with that, I all of a sudden, and I was going to therapy like every five minutes. And I was all of a sudden hit with the, not they, not her, but all of a sudden I had to, I had to deal with me. I had to think, what did I do? What, what could I have done differently? Who, and here's the real kick in the pants guys. And I'm going to start here. Who am I in that relationship? And who am I right now? I used to think I had such a firm grasp on me. I used to, Walk around. I, I always felt like I was a relatively confident person. I liked my, I was good at my job. I liked my job. I had great friends. I always, you know, and being confident and knowing yourself are two very different things because I think I avoided myself in a lot of ways. I'm going to explain what that means in a second. I avoided myself in a lot of ways by investing all this other energy in other people. Why? Well, I'm a saver. I should get a cape, call myself superwoman and be on my day because that's what I did. 
swoop in, try to save you, try to fix you, try to help you. And then when you're all healed and ready to go, off you go. And I'm left there going, what the heck just happened? But this time, I didn't have any of those options. I didn't have any of those choices. I was locked into, well, this is where I'm sitting because I don't have, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. So I had therapy. I had my friends who were also therapy. And then I sat in solitude. And I really started to think about who I am and what I lost over those 12 years of that last relationship and marriage. And then I realized what the pattern was. Now, did I pick the wrong person? Sure. Can I talk about all of their faults? Sure. But I'm not going to, I'm not boring anybody with that now because I, you can't control that. The only thing you control is you. The only thing I can control is me. So in that moment, I started reflecting. Who am I to keep putting myself in that same position? And I would have stayed in that very, very broken marriage forever because I would have constantly tried to fix her. I thought that was my mission. If I love her enough, I'll heal her. She'll be great. We'll be great. I just have to prove to her, right? And instead of, and this is true every single relationship, instead of me saving I was pulled into that trauma. I was pulled into that fractured sense of self. I was pulled into that brokenness. And I think over the last, that 12 year, but I started sort of degenerating because it was such a long period of time. That person didn't walk away quite as quickly as let's say some other people would have walked away. So it was a longer period, like kind of like the frog in boiling water, right? You put them in warm water not boiling. And you just gradually raise the temperature. And at the end I'm boiling. I don't even know I'm boiling, but I'm still sitting there trying to save the other frogs. So at the end of all of that, I start looking at myself and why do I do that? And how do I do that? Um, And I remember sitting with my therapist and she handed me some papers at some point to describe maybe some of the issues that my partner had. She goes, Joanna, I'm showing this to you not to save her. You can't save her. I'm showing this to you so you can understand what you are into, what you are a part of, and how you need to let go and how you need to create boundaries for yourself going forward. And I read over this, you know, all of this uh, documentation kind of thing and description. And I think revelations happen in moments. Uh, That was one. You don't get a revelation. I also think people think they get a revelation all in one sitting. You don't. I think it comes in flashes. You just need to make sure that you put the flashes together because a flash could have happened when you're 17 and then not to your 22 and then not again to your 37. So like you, you have to remember the flashes. And I think at, you know, I had a bunch of them very quickly. And again, it was all because of that sort of isolation that I, I wouldn't have endured if I could have avoided it, but I had to COVID. So weirdly thank for COVID. Nobody ever says that. And so I sat here and I started obviously doing TikTok. And when I started doing TikTok, there was a piece of me I didn't even know I lost. Not so much, sure, a little performative, sure, a little, but it was very, very much a connectivity and a socialization and a social being that that I really missed. And I gave up. For, for, for me to be in a relationship with somebody where I just constantly dimmed, constantly minimized, 
I kept everything about me was dim to the point where I barely existed just to lift somebody else up. And that's how I loved. That, that's how I loved. That's how I, what, that's what I thought love looked like. That's what my love map was. And is this partially because of my mom? Absolutely. We all look back to our parents. Did it have as much to do with my dad? I don't think so because I didn't really see that relationship, but I saw my mom with her family and the way she loved family, which was all in, right? All in, no boundaries. You need me. I'm dropping everything. I'll be there. And I, she did that for me, guys. All about no, anything I needed, I would have. And so to me, that's what love was. Now in a partnership, especially with somebody who has their own trauma and doesn't, and, and maybe is, will take more of that. I just didn't get that. So I was consistently drawn to people who I wanted to fix and they would consistently just take, 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 take. And not even because they're bad people, but because they, that was their damage and that was their trauma and that was what they had to fix. So all of this is going on and I'm slowly starting to become aware of what a healthy or, or, or what a good me looks like. And here's my first point. My first point, and I know it took me a long time to get to my first point, but my first point of a healthy relationship and actually the most important part of a healthy relationship has nothing to do with anyone else. It has everything to do with you, who I am, who I want to be, what is important to me, what I hold up as having value and, and what I revere and what I want to chase and what I think I can, all of those things about who I am, those need to be so incredibly deeply understood and firmly entrenched. Because then when you meet somebody, you're not willing to adjust that. You're, you're, look, relationship or compromise. Yeah, 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 sure. We compromise in the movies we watch, the color of paint we put on the wall, what kind of car we buy. That None of that matters. None of those compromises matter right? That's what, sure, marriage is about. You do all of those things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your core values. I'm talking about who you are. And I don't just mean like values, like what my morals are or whatever. I mean, who I am in my heart, in my soul, and how can I express that in a bigger way? And you have to be so sure of that. Because if you're not sure of that, somebody with a stronger personality or somebody with bigger goals or bigger demands, they're just going to outshine that. So I realize that about myself. And I'm, and I'm saying to all of you, no matter what stage you're in, whether you're, you know, you haven't had a relationship, you're in one you want out, you're just out of one that you've been in for a long time, it doesn't matter where you are. You really need to figure out you. You want to be a painter? Figure it the hell out. You want to be a singer? Figure it out. A teacher, a doctor, a lawyer? I don't care. Figure out what drives your heart, what drives your soul, and then stick to that. Because then when you meet somebody, the idea is this. You don't have to put up any boundaries. They don't have to be big boundaries. You just know what you're worth. And, and I don't mean that and I'm worth more than you. Just like I know what I need to prioritize. So if I'm prioritizing A, B, and C, and it doesn't suit you, I can't adjust. It's not even a choice. I can't adjust A, B, and C because that's who I am. So I think that's the first thing. And here's the second thing. And here's the really, really hard part because we're always figuring ourselves out. 
But the really hard part is then meeting somebody else who is equally authentic. And it's really hard to tell, right? Because a lot of people fake authenticity so long, you have no idea. And they think they, they want to be this person. So that makes it authentic. Or they think that they're going to be that person. Or they think if they ignore this trauma or if they ignore that trauma. Anybody that says, I refuse to go to therapy, you should be nervous of immediately. Why? Why are you? You're the only reason outside of money, because therapy is ridiculously expensive. The only reason anyone is afraid of therapy is because they are not ready to confront, to own, to be their authentic self. And they know that therapy is just going to be a window to that. So you got to meet somebody who's authentically them. And, and I lucked out. And I say this to Anna all the time, because if I would have met somebody, right, because I met Anna pretty close after, you know, within six months after my marriage ended. And if I would have met somebody else that was willing to sort of siphon my light or direct me or whatever, I could have fallen back into bad behavior very quickly. Instead, I met a person whose favorite movie was Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, and she wasn't afraid to say that. I met a person who ate the same meal for breakfast every single day, who loved Barry Manilow, who has a a cardboard cutout of Justin Bieber, not ashamed. You want to know authenticity? <laughs> Find yourself somebody who's not willing to sit in the comfortable social norms, but they do it with pride and they do it with confidence. There's authenticity, right? The person, and that's why I joke all the time about people's favorite movies, you know, when they say some really important movie like, I don't know, Casablanca or Schindler's List or uh, you get a lot of, you know, these very important movies that are amazing. Is it your favorite though? Is it your favorite? Does it say something about you or are you saying it because of its gravitas? I love that word, by the way, gravitas. I should use it more often. So authenticity is number one. And I really think it's the hardest thing to really watch. But another key way to watch it I think, does that person change when they're around you, your friends, their friends, your family, their family? Do their ideals change? Does their core change? Everybody has maybe a different tone. Nobody hangs out with their mom the same way they hang out with their friends. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the core of who they are. Are they all of a sudden trying to impress this group but never try to impress this group? Are they changing that favorite movie? That's what I'm talking about. And with Anna, what I was astounded by was it, it, it doesn't matter. You could sit her in front of the president of the United States and she would be the same person talking about, you know, speed skating and why hasn't he watched, you know, High School Musical. Like 100%. She is not changing at all. So that's the person. Authenticity. Number two, passion. And it goes with authenticity. Because if you're truly you, you figured out what moves your soul. If you figured out what moves your soul, you better be sure you're doing it. And I think that's incredibly important, you know? And for me, it's teaching 100%. There's no question. I never had a question. I didn't find my passion. But sometimes that passion to somebody who doesn't have their own is overwhelming, right? All of the, the confidence I get from it, the accolades I get from it, the connections that I get from it, that challenges all that other. It never challenged Anna. Anna always was just, 
incredibly supportive. And then I watched what she did, which was teach dance. And it wasn't just teach dance, because as we know, she is a dancer and a singer and a performer, but it's that. Her soul is dancing. Her soul is performing. So what has she done? She's figured out every single way she can bolster her soul doing what she is passionate about. And I don't think a lot of people get to do that. Um, I think that's also, you know, one of those big things that sort of limits a lot of people is for whatever reason. And sometimes for very valid reasons, they're put in positions where they don't get to feel, they don't get to feed that soul part. I'm not saying everybody has that as an option. Not everybody gets to do their pure joy every day is their job, but you better have it in your life in a significant way. You better include it in a significant way. It better inspire you in a significant way. Otherwise you wither and die and you're not good for any relationship. And the third thing with Anna was family. Um, She had a solid relationship with her family, very, very connected, very, you know, at night, every night, good night. I love you. Like very, you know, just a nice sort of underpinning with her family, even though they live far. But when Anna stepped into my world, my mom just found out that she had cancer. And my world was blowing up like that. Like a few months after Anna and I got together, we got together in May, like by August, September, I guess. And nine times out of 10, guys, that new person in that relationship all of a sudden sees, you know, because I take care of my mom, I take care of my grandmother, and all of a sudden sees what my expectations are going to be. And she doesn't shy from those. She jumps in, you know, she drives my mom to the hospital. She takes care of the dog. Who's a, you know, a lovable nightmare. Uh, And she jumped right in and started helping with all of those things. Uh, And not only that, but then she started helping with my heart and my mind surrounding this, because as you guys know, cancer is not just about a fight you know, my mom's fight about a disease, it's also very mental. And, and if it gets you here, then, which is in your head, I'm sorry, I'm pointing. Some people are just listening. If it gets you in your head, if if it gets in your head and, and it can beat you there, then your body's not far behind. So Anna, who is very much on meditation and crystals and positive effort, all of that kind of stuff that I've never, ever done. My mom never done the way Anna brought it to the table softly. And the way she just gradually just kept pushing, just, just focus on this. Just maybe listen to this before you go to bed. Just maybe try to turn your thoughts a little bit this way. And, and I noticed that for my mom and then for me, just those pieces and that, that subtle love, you know, I, I'm a knock you over the head kind of person with love. If there's a problem, I'm going to come bowling in to fix it. Even if I can't fix it, it's not something I could possibly fix. I'm going to come bowling in anyways. Where Anna came in soft. She came in because she knew this was going to be a hard sell for us because my mom and I were not outside of the box thinkers, right? Problem, cause, effect, science, whatever's in that sort of parameters. Whereas Anna thinks very much outside the box. She never thinks inside the box. She doesn't even know what the box is. Right. And that's incredibly important. 
I mean, that's about my family. She knows the things that are important to me. She knows that my family is incredibly important to me. She also knows my friends are incredibly important to me. So she always made time for them. She always made sure like anytime I wanted to be with them, I was never once held back. Never once. Well, can't we just spend time alone or, or why do you have, don't go over there. I'd rather just, you know, or, or don't go over there without me. I want to be, but again, you know what this all goes back to? It all goes back to her level of security, her level of confidence, her level of identity. And I lucked out with all of that because I didn't know. I mean, she's gorgeous. Sure. So she DMs me. I'm in. I'm all. But you don't, you don't know any of those other things, right? And I say to her often, I lucked out. I lucked out because if I didn't get you, with your mentality and your way of looking at life and your position and all of that kind of stuff, I would have rolled right back into something probably relatively destructive because I wasn't ready. And then, and then what's been amazing about her, and this is another thing about a relationship that you guys have to look for, is that instead of stunting my growth, instead of minimizing my, my light, all she does is, is push it, water it, help it grow all the time. I I only ever feel bigger every day. I only ever feel smarter. I only ever feel more powerful. I only ever feel more myself because she has zero desire to get in the way of that because she respects who I am and I respect who she is and we don't get in each other's way. Now, all of that seems like a hell of a lot to do. Look, guys, I'm 46. I... I if I tell you how many relationships I had, and you can comment down below if you want to hear all the crazy drama of the lesbian community. I deserve this. But the reason why I got it, really, I lucked out with Anna. But really, that first step is about you. And we don't give time to kids. We, we don't give time. To, everybody says, be yourself, be independent, be a leader. We don't, we don't teach kids that we don't, we say that. And then we tell them what to wear, when to eat, what classes to take, what university to go to, when to get married, when to have kids, what it is to be an adult, how much money you should have an RSP by the time we don't do anything about building independent critical thinkers. We, we don't, we don't have that system. And then in their 20s, we wonder why they don't know who they are. But by their 20s, they don't have time to worry about it anyway, because you should be graduating university. And by the way, that's the time you're supposed to find your partner in order to start having kids. And you have to buy a house somewhere in and of there or else you're not an actually successful human. All of that, all of that we put on our youth. So by the time they're married and have kids and have a career and have expectations and, and bills and dinners on Sundays with her family, then my family, they haven't had a clear minute to figure out who they are. That's, and that's why you have so many divorces. I know that I had one. Uh, we have so many divorces coming in your, depending on when you get married, you know, 10, 15 years into it, because at some point, who you are is going to fracture the fakeness of what you're pretending to be.
it just will. You might not even still realize who you are. I'm not saying everybody who gets divorced figures it out because that's not the case. Because usually you don't figure it out. You just roll right into the next thing. Boom, you're just duplicating. But we don't give any time to people, to young people, to figure out truly who they are, what they're passionate about, what they're driven for. Everything is go, 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 go. You got to do this in grade 10. You got to do this in grade 11. Oh my God, by grade 12, you have to have done this. Oh, you don't have time to do that. You got to make sure. And all of that. And then they get married and we wonder why it fractures. And, and infidelity sure is a symptom. It's not a cause, guys. It's not a cause. It's a symptom of looking for something outside of you to make you feel better or make you feel more complete or make you feel less hurt or make you feel less broken. You know, we all, and I say this, people say, what's the one thing you suggest everybody does like to a kid? I say, get therapy. And I don't mean that to fix you. I don't mean that to change you. I mean that to understand you. And I understand it. I mean, not everybody can do it. Not a lot of people can do it. It's horribly expensive, but there's different ways to gain self-awareness. There's different things you can do. There's different roads you can take. You got to carve out time in your day and in your life to figure those things out. And so here I sit in a incredibly healthy relationship in which we don't agree on absolutely anything. Guys, nothing. Everybody says you need to have common like interests. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because her interests bring such a different perspective to my world and mine do to hers. You need to have, in fact, I think it's that diversity that makes it so interesting and makes it so powerful. If I was enough, like if, if like I am enough just for me, sure, I could be single my whole life, but if I'm going to have a partner, why would I want to duplicate? Why would I want somebody that, that just is my little, what, mini echo chamber? What a waste. A partner should challenge and levitate everything, not parrot. So that's also something you need to find, but you need to find somebody that does it with respect and with the best of intentions and, and still in the back of their head, always, always lifting you up, never competing, never pushing you down for them to get bigger. So there's my Valentine's Day list of how to build a good relationship. Now I am turning 47. So like pretty soon I'll have a whole other new list, but for now, those are the, those are the elements I think of a relationship that everybody should have as I stutter. Uh, I am going to end before I end. I need to say one thing tonight. So it's the 14th tonight. This isn't going to air till tomorrow, but tonight I was in the Metro picking up some stuff from it's a grocery store. And I watched all these people, and I meet a lot, guys, buying Valentine's Day gifts at 5 o'clock on the 14th. If I can give any piece of advice, I don't care about Val- If you don't care about Valentine's Day, decide you don't care. Here's what I care about. The- giving somebody the last-minute thought, that's all they get. They get you driving home that night, and you're just buying it that there's the problem. If, if you don't have somebody else in mind to at least think of them a day in advance for something that maybe means something to you or them, again, if you hate Valentine's Day, 
I don't watch a horror movie and call it a day. That's not my point. These people were still trying to fake something. And so when I say you need to be authentic and I saw all those people today, I think to myself, there's all the inauthenticity that I need to see because an authentic person doesn't do that to somebody that it just, it wouldn't happen to somebody that they love and somebody that they care about and somebody that they really want to show that something me. And if you're not, again, if you don't care, then don't do it. But it never had proved my point clearer than people running around getting flowers from over here, a random stuffed animal from aisle eight, you know, the cupcakes from aisle seven, maybe getting the baker to quickly put somebody's name on it. That's all, that's all garbage. And that's all going to, it's the cracks that you should see coming a mile away. I suggest, and for those who are still listening, do something sweet, do something thoughtful, and you never have to spend money if you don't have money at all. But if you're sweet and you're thoughtful and you've taken them into consideration, then none of that other stuff matters. Then you're not running to the Metro to get $10 really bad red roses. And on that note, I hope everybody had a great Valentine's. I hope I didn't call anybody out too bad on that last note. Cause now in retrospect, I can think people are thinking of their husbands and their wives and what they brought them last night and they saw the Metro sticker. Now they're rethinking. Having said all of that, you can always bring it all back by putting what you think on the table, starting fresh. All right, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you had a fantastic Valentine's Day, and I will see you next Tuesday. Same bad time, same bad station. Have a good night, guys. Dismissed.